around here. And as your pastor, I'm so glad that you came to participate in the experience of God's presence. We're going through a sermon series on the book of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, open up to chapter 4 of Matthew. Today's message can be summarized as, come follow Jesus, or as he said, come follow me. I want to encourage you to read your Bible every single week and read the chapter I am studying. So read it before you come because you know next week I'll be on chapter what? Five. What comes after four? Five. Amen. And then after that I'll be on chapter what? Five. Because five's a big chapter. Got you. No, just kidding. So it's the Beatitudes. I'll have to break it down a little bit. But you get my point. Just making sure you're up today. It is all about Jesus. You can follow along the notes with our app or our website. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many know you'd be hungry too if you haven't eaten for 40 days? Some of you are hungry right now, aren't you? Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice that he's going to challenge Satan is. He's going to challenge Jesus' identity. And then notice what Jesus does in response every single time. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. How many know the devil knows the word of God? Because that's what he now does. He's, gonna, he's basically saying, well, if you're going to start quoting the word of God, Jesus, I'm going to quote it too. Look what Jesus said in verse 7. He answered, it is also written. Somebody say, it's also written. Thank you. You could turn me down the mains just a little bit, please. Don't want to scare them. Uh, I don't scare you guys, dude. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is what? For it is written. Thank you. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Would you put up the graphic for me, please? I want to teach you at the beginning here three kinds of temptations. There are three kinds of temptations that you will face in life. The reason why Jesus is facing these three kinds of temptations is because Adam and Eve in the garden failed when they faced these three kinds of temptations. In the book of 1 John 2, verse 16, they are listed out. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's go to the Garden of Eden and see how Adam and Eve failed at these things. When Eve went over to the tree that she was told not to eat from, she saw that it was good to eat. So her flesh wanted it and her eyes desired it. And then lastly, the tempter said, you can become like God if you eat this. So let's just put this together. God created Adam and Eve to live perfectly in a garden. What's the place called? A garden. Somebody say, what's the place called? A garden, thank you. So he puts them there, and then he says, don't eat of this tree so you can eat of everything else. And what does she want to do? Eat of the very thing God told her not to eat from. How many ladies here have a closet full of shoes but still want just one more pair of shoes? I know it gets quiet when I talk like this, but I know there's some dudes here as well. You're shoe-aholics. 
You have all these shoes, but you just want one more pair of shoes. How many of you have ever been to watch your favorite sports team play? Have you ever been there? But you just want to go to what? One more game. I want to go to that one more game. I want that one more pair of shoes. How many of you just want maybe one more dollar, 10 more dollars, a thousand more dollars in your bank account? Anybody? If not, you can give it away to your neighbor. They'll appreciate it that you're so humble and you don't care about money. But let's be honest, we're never satisfied with the things of the flesh. The big question that comes out at the very beginning is, in the Garden of Eden, why did God put a tree that could ruin the entire universe there to begin with? Here's the point. God gave us free will, a choice. He said, I've made the whole world for you. It's by my rules, my way. Here's the deal. You don't want it, eat that tree, and you get to have it your way. He loved us so much, he gave us the opportunity to put hell on earth when there was heaven on earth. When we went to the devil, how did he get there? When I say we, we were all there in Adam and Eve. They represent us because we would have done no different. If you would have looked at it like a video game, Adam and Eve died, next player up, Lydia and Peter, you would have done the same thing. Next player up, Joe and Nancy, you would have done the same thing. God knows all things. He made two represent us. Once again, why did we go there and fall for that? We weren't satisfied with it being God's way, so we wanted to hear about another way. Well, where did this serpent come from? The Bible says he was once in heaven as Lucifer, an angel of light, and he fell because he wanted heaven to be his way, and he was so cunning that he deceived a third of the angels to come with him. What is true Satanism? Is it Marilyn Manson? Is it drinking blood? That can be a part of what people call Satanism now in witchcraft. But what is true Satanism? It is summarized perfectly in the song by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Satanism. Doing things your way. Jesus is resetting now the human race. He is now resetting us. That's why he's born of a virgin. Why did he have to have a fresh start like Adam and Eve? Because he's going to make up for what we did not do. Now, here's the thing. We believe he's also God. He's 100% God, 100% man. So some people get it twisted and think that when he's on earth, he's doing things as God. That is not true. We learned in Matthew chapter 3 that he gets baptized. Why would God have to be baptized? He said to John the Baptist, you must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. That will go for every single thing you see Jesus go through that you would typically not identify with God. So you may have an, uh, an academic Muslim or a knowledgeable Muslim come to you and go, do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. Do you believe God is all knowing? Yes. So Jesus is all knowing? Yes. Why did he say he didn't know when he was coming back? What do you say back to that? To fulfill all righteousness, he emptied himself, or as I like to say, he put his God privileges, tied them behind his back, and operated as a man. He emptied himself of the privilege of being God. So why is he being tempted? God can't be tempted, as we'll learn in just a few moments from the book of James. He's being tempted because he's going to show us that we can beat the, the temptation. We can have a testimony out of the test. Now, some might ask the question right here. They may say, well, was the test, the temptation rather, was it a real temptation for him? Would it be possible for the Son of God to sin and separate himself from the Holy Trinity of the Father and the Spirit as well? And I don't believe that he could, but he actually felt in all possible ways what we would feel. The Bible says in Hebrews, he did this to identify with us in our times of temptation. So he was tempted like us, it says in Hebrews, in all ways. Tempted to uh, to have pedophilia? Check. Tempted to rape? 
Check. I know it's disgusting to think of it that way, but Jesus in temptation, because this is a summary of it. It's not the only time he's tempted. He's tempted all throughout his life. He is tempted to do every possible wicked thing that's ever been done upon this earth, and he never gives in to it. The example he is setting for us is, I can defeat temptation in the image that I made you in. Do like I do, and you'll defeat temptation. Did you get the heavy revy right there? Can you learn how to run a marathon by uh, watching Superman? No, Superman has an advantage over you. You could never learn how to run a marathon like Superman. It's kind of like they get these beautiful women on uh, the TV, and then they show you doing the, the, you know, the eyeliner or the hair, and then people look at them and go, oh, you're so beautiful. Maybe it's Maybelline. You know, and, and, and then, you're, you know, sadly, you don't look as good, and then you buy this thing, and then you do the makeup, and you think you're going to get the same compliment, and you don't. You know why? Because it ain't Maybelline. Maybelline's not making the difference. What's making the difference is what your mama gave you, okay? So those who have a little bit better to look at, don't act too proud about it because you got it from your mama. You didn't make your own DNA, okay? So be humble about your good looks and, and be nice to those of us who may not have them, okay? But, but here's the deal. The deal is if Jesus came down and said, I'm God, Satan, zap, get out of here. He has not taught us anything. He has not fulfilled righteousness. If Jesus doesn't get tired, then how does he teach me to not get uh, discouraged when I feel tired? If he doesn't uh, get hungry, how is he going to teach me to face times when I'm hangry? If he doesn't get betrayed, you, you get my point here. If he doesn't always know everything, how is he going to teach us to trust in a God that we don't know always what he's up to? So once again, why is Jesus experiencing things as a man? Because he became a man. He became a man. And so literally when he is facing temptation in, in the flesh, he is facing what you and I face in these three categories. So the woman, uh, Eve and Adam, they fall for the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus is going to defeat every single one of them with the word of God. Going back to Adam and Eve, when they went there to the tree, which they shouldn't ever even have been around it, but let's say they went there and they heard the serpent lie. What should they have said to the serpent in the garden when, when the garden said, when the, when the serpent said, you shall not surely die die, you'll become like God. What should they have said? Yeah, they should have said a scripture like what you guys say. It is written. There's one God. You're not it, and I'm never going to be it. And you know what I think they could have done if you want to get a little bit like, you know, just, you know, make an, an idea here. I think they could have taken the serpent and killed it and destroyed evil off the earth forever. Why? Because God gave them dominion over everything. And part of dominion is having justice and that thing didn't belong there. And it was their earth to do whatever they wanted with. That's why when we get to the second temptation of Jesus, what does the devil say? I will give you all of this if you bow down in, uh, the last temptation rather. He said, I'll give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. Why didn't Jesus respond back to the devil and go, you don't got it all, devil. I own it all. I'm God. Don't you know me? You're doubting me all here, but I know you know me because this is what God did. God loved us enough to give us the world, and we got to decide what we would do with it. We could give it back to him and live by the world, or we could give it to the serpent, the devil. That's why it says he is the lowercase g, God of this age. The Bible says that he is the prince of darkness. And so what is Jesus doing becoming a man? Jesus is getting back what we lost. He is getting the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and the authority of this earth. That's why in Matthew 28, when it ends, he says, all authority in heaven and earth 
earth has been given unto me. And then the smart Muslim goes, ding, ding, ding. Doesn't God always have all authority? Yes. Did Jesus get authority? Yes. That means he didn't always have it? Well, I guess not. So that means he's not God. If you always had $100, why'd you need $100, in other words? If Jesus always had the authority because he's God, why does he get it? Why does he tell you, I got it now, in Matthew chapter 28? What's the purpose of the I got it moment? As man, he gets it for us. Do you understand? He defeated the devil for us. He gets the authority for us. And then he ascends in a human body. If you were to see Jesus in heaven, he has a human body with the marks of the cross on his hands and his feet and on his side. He still represents humanity to the Father. So because the Son of God became like the Son of Men, now sons and daughters of men might become sons and daughters of God again. Are you guys listening? He, I'll put it even more simpler. He became what I was so I could be like him so I could be like what he is. He's defeating the devil with the word of God. So once again, is he defeating the devil like Superman with some power that you and I will never be able to have? No, he tied those powers behind his back, limited himself according to Philippians 2, made himself nothing, made in the likeness of man, became a servant, even obedient to death. And remember, how can you kill God? How do you kill God? I thought God can't die. Well, first of all, when we die, we still live because we're more than just a body. That's the first thing. We don't stop existing. But when people say that about Jesus, once again, what did he say? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I will pick it up again. Amen? So Muhammad and all your false prophets are still in the grave. Jesus is out the grave. That's the one I'm serving. Amen? But I teach you all of those things so you can know how to answer people back because as we go through the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew, you're going to have to deal with a person, a human person getting tempted, getting tired, not knowing everything because he is teaching us as man what we were supposed to do. And now he's redeeming us from all of our mistakes, hitting reset, and then guess what? He now becomes the new factory, uh, the, the, the new form in the factory where we get made in his image. We're stamped out like him now. So I was born in a naughty nature because of what Adam did, but now I'm born again in a divine nature because of what Jesus did. He reset the script, and that's why he's our perfect savior. So let's think about these three temptations and how they face us. But before we do, let's go to the book of James chapter one. I want to show you a possible contradiction that people may bring up to you because as studying the scriptures, it's always good to know what some people may say to try to trick you. And I've already done that in a few cases already, but I want to actually show you in a text. James chapter one brings up some problems if you don't know how to answer it. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13, I believe. Yes, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Where's the contradiction? Two things. God doesn't tempt, and he doesn't lead people to temptation. Who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? The Holy Spirit. So now we have a contradiction according to some. Then in the wilderness, what happens? He gets tempted. So it's actually the opposite of the Lord's prayer. Not lead me, you know, it's supposed to be lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But the Spirit said, I'm leading you right into temptation, and I'm going to see you face evil. Is there a contradiction? No. Let's go through it first step. Why is Jesus being led somewhere to be tempted? 
If Jesus is following the GPS of the Spirit and only does what the Spirit says, he has to live righteously, holy, without any sin. But then how could he identify with us who are born sinners and now have inner temptation, as the Bible soon will say after this, that we get tempted from the inside? How would, we, how would he relate to us if we have a broken hard drive or a flat tire and he's driving around a Lamborghini? The Spirit had to bring him to the place to be tempted. Otherwise, it would have been impossible to tempt him. So it falls under the same category of the things I was just saying. Unless Jesus allows himself to be hungry, he never would have been hungry. Unless he would have allowed himself to not know everything, he would have always known everything. Unless he would have allowed the Spirit to lead him into temptation, he never would have been tempted. The devil can't even get close to him. Do you understand that? The Bible says when Satan sinned, he fell like lightning. Have you seen how fast lightning Lightning comes down. I think they have measured it, how fast that thing shoots. That's how fast Satan went away from God in heaven, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But if Jesus is going to identify with us, he has to be an exception to this rule to actually face temptation. He has to face it. Now, how does that apply to us? God is never going to make you want to do something bad. That's what James is saying. God is never going to try to trick you to do something bad. And believe it or not, if you study the Hindu gods like Ganesh, Shiva, and, and Krishna, Krishna is, is one that I've studied more of, and, and Islam and Muhammad, these gods in, in Islam, Muhammad is said, said of Allah that he's the best of all deceivers, that he's actually a deceiver. That's why they can practice taqiyah, which is lying to you. That's a whole other discussion. And then the gods of Hinduism, like, let me just tell you this story since I brought it up about, uh, mentioned Krishna. So as I was studying about Krishna, Krishna one day went down, just imagine hearing this in church, by the way, about your, your Jesus, okay? And they try to say he's the same in one sense. But let's listen to this. Uh, imagine this. Krishna goes down to where the young maidens, about teenage to young adult age, were bathing naked in the waters. This is a true story. You can look it up. He then takes their clothes and hides up in a tree. They then have to run naked and find him and come to him in their nakedness and their vulnerability, kind of like repenting, and then he gives them clothes to wear. Does that sound like our Jesus? See, that sounds like he's playing a trick on them, causing them to sin, frolic around naked. That's why when people try to say all these paths lead to heaven, they haven't studied any of the paths, okay? Our Jesus is a unique person. He is holy. He would never do such a wicked thing as that. So the point that I'm trying to make is, is that our God humbles himself even to be tempted. Now, does this mean that he is somehow tricking us in the temptation that he can't really fall into and it's not the same? No, he is going going to feel what we would feel in the garden, which he was tempted to quit. He said, if there's another way, let this way pass for me. Now notice, notice he's in the garden. Where were Adam and Eve created in a garden? And what did they choose? Their will over God's will. He's back in a garden as the representative of the human race. And now he says, I wish there was a way. I wish there was another way I could go about this without having to suffer such a horrible death. But not my will be done, but what? Your will be done. He wins the battle of the wills for humanity. But what happens while he's there? He literally sweats drops of blood. And that can happen under certain intense situations with blood vessels breaking. That's how hard he is praying. That's how much he is feeling it. So there is, and let me just say this before we move on. There is nothing that Jesus felt, into, or let me say it like this. There is nothing you feel in temptation that Jesus hasn't felt. 
The only difference is he has not sinned and he doesn't have a sinful nature. So the father doesn't make him sin. He has to lead him there. Otherwise, Satan would be falling from lightning. And, and also, the whole entire world would be, just to kind of give you a little sci-fi thing, if he didn't veil himself in his glory, he would be bringing the dimension of heaven and everything not heaven would be evaporating into hell everywhere he walked. Can you just imagine that for a minute? Because when he's baptized, heaven opens up just a peak. The Bible says heaven opens up. Heaven, a dimension place called heaven, like there's heavenly realms. It opens up. Holy Spirit comes down from that realm. And then the Father speaks, this is my son. If Jesus wanted to really show you who he was, he would have walked in that realm the whole time. And everything impure and unholy would have went right to hell. So aren't you glad he veiled himself? Aren't you glad that he was led into temptation so he could teach us? And then the second thing people say is that, is that if he's God, how can God be tempted? Because it says God doesn't tempt anyone, nor is he tempted. So here's the trick again. They'll try to play on you. Is Jesus God? Jesus is God. God can't be tempted. That's right. Was Jesus tempted? Well, I guess he can't be God then. Do you see how they use these against you? Okay. So what do we answer back to that? Jesus as God never tempted. Jesus as man faces temptation. Why? Because he wants to relate to us as men and women. Do you see how important the incarnation of Jesus is? Do you see how important in understanding what we learned before in the previous chapters? To us, a child is given. To us, a son is, uh, excuse me. To us, a son is given. To us, a child is born. Son is given from heaven, existing in all eternity, but child is born. To us, a son is given. To us, a child is born. Do you get the distinction there? Son always existed. Never would have been tempted. Never could be tempted. There's nothing that the devil has, we have, that could ever tempt him. But when he becomes a child, he willingly subjects himself to temptation so he can say, I feel what you feel. And then let's just skip ahead to the end. How many know the end of the book of Matthew about Jesus dying on the cross, raising again? How many know the end of the story? For those of you who don't know that, let me just remind you right now, Jesus wins in the end, okay? Just to let you know. Okay, so how many know on the cross when it turns pitch black at three in the afternoon, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many know the father and son didn't split, you know, the Trinity right there? What he is saying is as a man, now I know what it's like to have sin upon me because he's taking on our sins and I know what it's like to feel your rejection, but was he separated literally ontologically as a different being now from the Father and the Spirit? Of course not. So these examples that people try to use against us shows us shows you that they don't know Jesus. They don't understand the Bible in its context. That's why we have to understand it. Now go back to James and see how James makes his point. It says, I'll go back to the previous verse, please. Thank you. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Let's go back to that chart. And let me say this. Everybody get this. If right now, everybody look up at me, please. I'm so glad you're here. I love you guys. Love you. I get so excited sometimes I forget to tell you guys I love you. Okay. I just come up and start preaching like a fire hose. Okay. Love you guys. Watch this. Watch this. This is so basic, but we always have to remember basic things. How many know two plus two is four is basic, but you always remember it? Here's what you have to remember. You are your worst enemy without God. 
It says you are dragged away by your own sin and enticed. Why is that? Because now we are born with a sinful nature. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, from my mother's womb, I was shapened in iniquity. So as beautiful as Psalms 139 is, that talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made, because of the fall, we are also shapened in sin. Now God is merciful to children who die before an age of accountability. He said the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, but we will be accountable after that for the things we've done in this life. And the only way to be saved is not by good works because that way has to be perfect. So the only way we can be saved is to accept Jesus and be born again, okay? But now watch this. Even though you're born again spiritually, you physically still have your same exact body. And it says there in James that you're dragged away by the enticement of your body, your flesh, which can be your, your hormones, which can be your mind. It can be the emotions and the things that you feel. I mean, I always use this example, and people look at me weird, as I'm sure you're about ready to look at me weird, but I think it's really good. How many know women change attitudes around a certain time of the month? Cue awkward faces. That's what I'm talking about, but it's a great way of saying it. Okay, how many know men change if they don't get sleep or they don't get enough food? right? And some women are hangry too. How many know if we turn the heat up in this place to about 90, how many know some of your attitudes are changing? How many know if we, talk, if we put up a naked woman up here, how many know guys' hormones are going to start spiking? Okay, now it gets even more quiet there. Here's the deal. That doesn't change because you became a Christian. This is a body of death, your flesh that you carry around, and you must count it as crucified. So you don't get to use the excuse, well, I have a body of flesh. I, sh I can do whatever I want. God will keep forgiving me. No, the Bible says count your body as dead, and, and then count your spirit as life to Jesus, and then make your body your slave. So drag your body through life doing the things of God. Amen. So, but here's the deal. I want everybody to get this now. Everybody get this. If we were, if God was to remove the devil from the planet, all of the demons, and then every single source of temptation, uh, pornography or people. So it's literally you on a mountaintop, no demons, nothing there, no people. Guess what? You would have all the tools you need to continue to sin and live a life of sin. Why? Because you have this right here. You could think of killing people. You could think of raping. You could think of having sex. You could, you, you could do all of it right there. Why? Because you have a broken hard drive that until you die, you carry with you. It's literally called a body of death. But now watch this. What Jesus is teaching us right here is that no matter where you are, if the devil's right in front of you and every single temptation is all around you, if you live for Jesus, nothing can bring you down. When you speak the word of God, do you get it on our own in the perfect scenario like the garden will ruin it every time? But with Jesus, we can have the entire hordes of hell come against us and greater is he that lives in us than he that lives in the world. We are more than conquerors. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the idea isn't to run away from your temptations, though it's biblical to cut things out of your life that are unwise, but the idea isn't to run and become monks and abbots somewhere in a monastery. The idea is to have so much Jesus on the inside of you that you don't have any room for sin. So let me give you a couple examples of this. So if you're satisfied in your flesh with Jesus, your eyes are satisfied with Jesus, and you've humbled yourself before the Lord, you'll never have a room for sin. Now, some may say, Pastor, have you been sinless since you've been a Christian? And I'm like, no, but I've sinned less, okay? And so Jesus teaches us how to sin less. Use the word of God, speak over the things that you're facing as in temptation. Okay, so let me give you an example. Let's imagine today 
You're just so hungry, you can't wait to get home to eat. You stop at McDonald's, okay? So you make all your vegan friends mad and all of these health people mad in this church, and you're there, and then you just blow it up. You get two Big Macs, you know, the big fries, and then you say, man, I'm, I'm already here. I might as well get the milkshake. And then on your way out, you grab one of those apple pies because you're going to want something on the way home. Now, let's say you go home and, you know, your mom's visiting. If you're an adult or if you're a kid, your mom's already there. Just put yourself in this scenario. And your mom has made your favorite food. On the count of three, tell me your mama's, the favorite food you like to eat from your mama. One, two, three. Lasagna. Okay, mine's the best, lasagna. No, I'm kidding. I have the mic. You can't argue with me. So my mama's lasagna. It's the bomb. Now I go there and I go, Mom, what? I ate all of this. Now listen, it may be my favorite food, but because I'm so stuffed on McDonald's, I can't take a bite, okay? That's what it's like when you fill yourself with sin and you come here, the preacher preach. You say, I don't have enough room to read my Bible and pray. You know why? It's because you're so full of sin. You need to ask Jesus to empty you and make you hungry and thirst, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then you'll be filled because now the opposite is true. Watch this. Let's say you ate your mom's lasagna today. You go home. You're good. You, you know, your wife cooks, whatever. Your husband cooks and you eat it and it's so good. And then you just go out with your friends and, and they, you know, you get in the car and they go, hey, I just stopped at McDonald's. McDonald's, you want some? How many know it's like, oh, barf. I don't even want to look at that Big Mac, the sauce. That's so nasty. I don't even want to look at it. You know why? Because you're so full of what's good, what's out there doesn't even tempt you. Okay, now get this. Get this. You know why I stay faithful to my wife? Because I'm so full of her love. And when I see another lady walk by, I look at her as just a sister, not as somebody that I can get with because there's no room in my heart for that, that, that relationship. So the idea is fill your heart with the things of God so that the things of this world don't have a place in your heart. When you put God first and you're full, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you won't have room to sin. So Jesus is so full of the Holy Spirit because remember, after the baptism of water, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, let's go back to it, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He came into temptation full of God. So some of you, the reason why temptation is so hard for you right now is because you're facing it empty. And if you're full on God, you're not going to face it the same way. You see, if I was like some of you guys, not filling myself with the things of God, reading my Bible, doing all those things, I would be just as tempted as you are. I would be. Why? Because I would be hungry for something. But if you would do exactly what I do, watch, come on, because I'm supposed to be an example too, right? The Bible says through, through Paul, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if today's message is about following Jesus, then there must be people following him that you can learn from, right? So listen, I've been doing this over 20 years, and I'm telling you, this is how it works. If you stay full on God, that temptation won't be as tempting to you. And when you stay full on God, you'll start to develop patterns that you never thought you could have because you didn't develop them on your own. The Holy Spirit did for you. And now I'm just telling you, I'm being very honest with you. My place of sin, my line is much further than it ever used to be because I'm walking further from that line closer and closer to Jesus, right? And so some of you every day, you're like right on the edge. Oh, man, don't mess with me. I'm going to go right over the edge. Man, I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to have an affair. 
You're right there. The Bible says you need to walk on the paths of righteousness. Like some of you young people, like we're going to have to baptize you 10 times before you get to college because every week you're like, I don't know if I want to live for Jesus. I don't know if I want to live for Jesus. You know, you need to get so far from that, from that wishy-washiness that you establish yourself. So, so I'm not saying I don't get tempted, but the idea is, is that it's more normal for me now to live righteous than it is to live sinful. It's more normal for me not to cuss when I get upset because I haven't cussed for over 20 years than it is to cuss. It's more normal for me to turn my face away from pornography than to look at it because I haven't looked at it since 96. If God did it for me, he'll do it for you. Get full on Jesus, amen? Let's put up that chart. And what I want us to do is I want us to pray through these. Can we have a little mini time of prayer right now? I'm going to give you my three biggest temptations in these areas, and then I want you to pray through your three biggest temptations, and then we'll go back to reading the passage because i got two more messages, a total of three today. Is that okay? This is the first message. i got two more to go. Lust of the flesh. When I tell you this, some of you are going to really understand this. My testimony started at 18 years old, but I knew Jesus growing up as a child, and I should have stayed saved around eight years old. I talk to people now, and oftentimes they say, well, Joe, you came back to Jesus. It worked out. So, you know, maybe I'll get my fill of sin, and then I'll repent and come back to this God thing. Two things about that that is terrible. Number one is you're not promised you're ever going to come back. I buried some of my friends. Their, their time's over now. Don't play that game. You're not promised tomorrow. In my dad's church, two girls got killed in a car accident about last year. Just teenage girls. Not worse, not better than anybody else, just killed. Sometimes there's not a rhyme or a reason. We'll understand it when we get to heaven. But I'm just telling you, there is nothing promising you tomorrow. I remember flying with my wife, and we were facing some turbulation. And, and, and she goes, man, I'm so scared. I'm scared. And I said, yeah, you know, I understand, you know, you know turbulation, turbulation. Turbulence is, is weird, and we don't like it. And she said, yeah, but I'm scared. You know, we could die. But really, I know we're not because there's babies on the plane. That's what my wife said. That's how superstitious she was as a grown woman. It's a pastor's wife, superstitious. And I go, what do you mean? Well, you know, if there's babies on the plane, Jesus wouldn't take the plane. And then, and then I look at her and like, I'm like, a lot of planes crash with babies in them. So this plane could crash with a baby in it. The baby's not going to save this thing from crashing. But that's what she thought. She thought like, you know, it is going to crash because there's a baby. And maybe you're superstitious. Well, I wouldn't die because I'm too young. Or this, you have no idea how quick death can come to you. No, no, no I did. That's number one. So don't play with this thing about God and living for Jesus. And number two. I'm getting to a point here. Those things I did, especially from 15 to 18, are now my worst temptations in my flesh. Because I know what it's like to go to a bar. I was young and I would sneak in. I always looked older than I am. I was asked when I joined the gym if, they, if I wanted the privilege of playing the little bad badminton game the senior citizens play at 55. And they say, you could probably slip in. That's literally what they told me. They said, because you look 55. That's what they told me. I'm like, cool. But it, it worked for me when I was young because I was like going to bars at like 16, okay? But it, this is not to brag, but here's my point. Watch this. I know what it was like to go to a bar, meet a chick, take her to my house, parents be sleeping, so I had sex with her in the backyard. Now, you hear that story, and you may say, well, that's crazy. And some people may be like, oh, that sounds like a good time. Here's the deal. 20 years later, those are my worst nightmares. Those are my worst nightmares, because I now am reminded of what I did. 
And when the devil comes to us, he knows how to paint the highlight reel of your life. He will not come to you with the rejection that you felt or the anxiety or the depression you dealt with. He will come to you with that highlight reel. Like for me as a dude in the flesh, you know how that felt that day? That illicit sex, how you just met a girl and you just had sex. You could have that right now. And literally, as far as I have gotten from sin in 20 plus years, within what, 20 minutes, I could lose my testimony. When I first started off in ministry, God would entrust me with young ladies, and we were all single. So imagine me as a single pastor at 22 years old, pastoring my own church, and there's three or four young single ladies. Tempted. What am I going to do? The old Joe used to have parties with ladies like that. Are you listening? Real temptation. I said, are you listening? Are you listening? Come on, I want to make sure you're listening to me. But God said, what will you do here? Because this will determine how your ministry will be. In all of my years of ministry, there is not one accusation ever brought against me. Those young ladies look to me as an older brother, some as a father figure, depending on their age. And now because of that, Hundreds of young ladies are in this church, people like Pastor Lauren, Pastor Griselda, uh, soon-to-be Pastor Lily, and all of these ladies have felt comfortable because I keep guidelines. I don't meet with them by myself. I don't text them. I don't do any of that weird stuff. You know I always give side hugs. I kept myself from those things by God's grace. Now listen to me. My friend was a Christian rapper, started his first church in his mid-30s. He had six kids just like me. God gives him one, one college female intern. Lasted about six months before he got her pregnant. What's the difference? Am, am I less than a man than him? Am I, do I have less hormones than him? See, I'm going to talk to you real today about temptation. As 20 years of ministry have brought me this far from my temptation, it would probably only take me about 30 minutes to go right back to hell with the devil. Jack Scott, the pastor who would pick up people in the, the buses here, took a 16-year-old girl in his office, started having sex with her, promising they were going to start a new life together. I don't blame the 16-year-old girl at all. I blame him, and if he hasn't repented, that's why there's a hell. He'll go there. I want you to understand this as I confess things to you. Your memories of sin can be some of your worst temptations. That's my worst temptation in the flesh. The lust of the eyes, think about this. That devil, man, what does that devil do? He shows Jesus the whole world, and he says, you can have this if you do it this way. Now, what does that show you? That shows you that the devil knows how to give you your flavor of temptation. Imagine if right now we went to Baskin 31 uh, Flavors ice cream, Baskin Robbins. How many know we would all get our different flavors? How many know husband and wife? You know your flavors, right? My wife's is mint chocolate chip, which is the most nastiest ice cream that has ever been made. Who wants mint chocolate chip? Please stop getting that, honey, because I can't eat it when you do. Chocolate chip cookie dough all the way, all the way, all the way. But now watch, watch, watch. We all are tempted with our own flavor of sin. So you better be careful who you're looking down on saying, oh, I would never be tempted with homosexuality. Yeah, but that person who's tempted with homosexuality, they're not tempted to think they're so prideful and self-righteous like you are. Hello? And you may say, well, I would never murder anybody. Yeah, but you know what? You're jealous of everybody. See, so the Bible says we all have our own flavors of sin. And so look at the slick devil. Look at how he is. He knows how to tempt mankind because he's been here so long. He knows how to play us. He comes to Jesus with the most noble thing. I know what you came here for. 
You came here as a man to get back what they lost. I'll just save you the time. Worship me and you got this. What is mine? I look across this church, I can only fit a few hundred, and the devil says, I'll give you that 100,000. Just do what Willow Creek does. Have about an hour, hour and 15 minute service. Don't mention much about sin. Make them all feel comfortable. And you know what? You'll scratch their religious itch. You'll look good in the community. Psst, even Oprah will get you on. You see, the devil knows how to get us to lust after things that God even may have for us. Think about that. You can lust after the thing God actually wants to give you if you do it the wrong way. So my lust of the flesh are my old memories of lascivious living and then the lust of the eyes to have good things without God's plan. And then the third thing, the pride of life for me, and I just say this in all honesty, has been my temper as a pastor, I have a little joke because sometimes, you know, I'll be at a restaurant and I'll, you know, say what I want and she'll say, oh, excuse me, I didn't hear you. What did you say? And I'll say, oh, that's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm used to people not listening to me. That's my little sassy joke. My little prideful joke. My little hurt feelings joke. <laughs> right? They don't listen to me. I'm used to talking all the time and they don't listen. I want to make them listen. And that's my pride. I'll get angry. There's a good anger, so don't check me on it because I may be in my good anger. No, I'm kidding. Have kid. There's a, there's, the Bible says you can have anger, but you don't have to sin in your anger. The pride of life for me is me sinning in my anger. You should have known that. Why did you do it that way? What is wrong with you? I can do it to my kids. I can do it to my wife. And God is saying, that's not my way. That's your way. And I'll tell you, man, it feels good in the moment. You can even feel it building up. And I know many of you can relate to me because you'll be telling people, hey, man, don't you do that. Don't, I'm going to do this. Hey, if you do this, you ain't ready for this. And then you let it all out, all the flesh you can possibly muster. But you know what's happened to me over time? As my face has turned red, as, you know, sweat has come down and, and all of that, dude, I've noticed my blood pressure, dude. Sometimes I literally feel like I can faint. I, I don't look like it, but sometimes I feel like I'm that old Italian. Like, hey, don't mess with me. I got my high blood pressure. Hey, you know, I'm going to pass out here. I literally feel like that sometimes. And God is saying, yeah, your anger will even kill you. The pride of life. But guess what? We always justify our pride. We, we don't see it in us, but we see it in others. And the way God wants us to understand is your pride stinks. Do it my way. Now, what I can't do is stop right now and have us pray for these three temptations. I was going to do it. I had a chance to do it in the first service, but I'll keep you here to three if I do. Let's keep going with the story, and then we'll combine it all at the end. Can I get an amen? Amen. The story continues. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people live in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began re to, to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has what? Come near. Has what? Come near. Thank you. What we see here is that John the Baptist is put in jail. 
Remember last week we learned about John the Baptist? And we all said, I want to be a John the Baptist. I want to preach like him. Guess where it led him? It led him to jail getting his head cut off. And do you know why that happened? Because he he preached against political powers. Don't be afraid to lay your life down for Jesus. That was God's plan for John, and John did it to uh, uh, to be an example to us, and he's a hero by the grace of God. And so Jesus begins to move from these different regions, Galilee and Capernaum. As you will see as we read the book of Matthew, those will be his main places. It then gives us a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Now, this is where you've got to track with Matthew. Matthew is writing the gospel in 50 AD, telling us what happened in 30 AD via the Holy Spirit lens. So as I said last week, in Shawshank Shawshank Redemption, the movie starts with Morgan Freeman talking because he already knows the end. He's telling you the story. Does everybody get it? He knows the end. He starts in the beginning. He tells the story. That's what Matthew is doing. And do you think he's just randomly picking out scriptures? No, the scripture that he picks out from Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 9, where it says that he is mighty God, everlasting Father. He shall be called Prince of Peace. How many know those are powerful verses? He then takes from that part of the chapter of Isaiah, and he says, in the land of the Gentiles, the God of Israel will shine forth his light. And so Jesus is the light of God. He is God the Son shining in the dark world. Why is that important? I've already had sassy people on my my YouTube video argue with me about this. When I preached Matthew chapter 1... I said the name, uh, the name of the message was, he will save his people from his sins. And I told you that all people can become his people. Guess what somebody wrote on my, fa- uh, my YouTube video? I thought it was just the Israelites. There's a group of people right now in our city called the Black Hebrew Israelites. They're African-American. They're racist. They say that they're Israelites. They're really not. And then they say God hates all the nations. They have pictures of like Catholic Jesus with horns on it. And and they shout and yell at you downtown or at certain corners. How many have seen these people before? Okay, thank God if you haven't. But if you have, there is a new group of racists coming up using the Bible to justify them. But here's the thing. Matthew knows how the book of Matthew ends he's been, he's seen it, right? And how does it end? Go into all the world and make disciples of the what? Of the nations. So what does he do? He shows you from the very beginning, even though Jesus is a Jew, and he's going to take care of Jewish business first. That's why he said, I didn't come for the Gentile first. I came for the lost tribes of Israel. But he's still shining his light to the Gentiles. That's why when a woman comes to him, a Seraphonician woman, a pagan woman, says, I want a miracle. My daughter's sick. He says, I don't give, I don't give the, 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 the children's bread to the dogs. He was testing her. And she said, well, don't the dogs at least get the crumbs? And he said, this woman has great faith. She's getting her miracle because he was showing her these pagan nations have been putting down Israel for so long and he had come for Israel to set the family business in order. He said, why should I stop what I'm doing with the Israelites to help you? And then she says, but I need mercy. And he gave it to her and that was a sign just like it was here. The light was shining to the Gentiles and eventually it would go out to the whole world. So it starts with Israel. Every promise is fulfilled that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He starts with them, and then he moves to the Gentiles. It's such a powerful passage. And then Jesus' message, verse 17. Uh, Let's read together. From that time on, Jesus began to preach your best life now. Let's read it together. Come on. One, two, three. I love you, and you love Come on, let's read it together. You guys see it up there? One, two, three. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Isn't that our message? 
Message of John the Baptist, repent. Message of Jesus, repent. Message of the apostles in Acts 2.38 is repent. Why is repentance so important? Because it means you're turning your direction, heading towards God. Turn and head towards God. The kingdom of, of heaven is near. So imagine if Bill Gates was in town and was giving everybody $100 million. And imagine if he was literally at the lake and you're on Fullerton Avenue going west. Wouldn't you want a friend to say, hey, turn around, change your direction. The blessing is that way. It's near that way. We're all in sin. And Jesus is saying to us, repent, turn around and face the Father. The kingdom of God is this way. Amen? Verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I know sometimes we read a story like this and we're like, oh, that was real easy for them to leave everything and follow Jesus because they were just people 2,000 years ago without responsibility. They probably just lived in little old huts and just ate fish and sang songs together. And of course, they didn't need money or take care of their family. So it was real easy just to throw everything aside and go follow this guy called Jesus. No, absolutely not. Everybody get this. The amount of sacrifice it took for these family men and a family business that went generations and generations back to follow Jesus would be identical to you doing it right now. Think of everything you would have to give up to do what these people just did. Give up your job. I'm resigning. I'm following Jesus. Now, thankfully, we do not take this and apply it literally and go move on a commune somewhere. And the reason is, is because no one here is Jesus, and we don't get up and follow a person wherever they tell us to go. But literally, God is among them. Don't you think that's worth giving up everything? So they gave up everything and followed him. So what's the application to us? Give up everything to follow Jesus. Anything that holds you back, let go of to follow Jesus. If your family holds you back, let go of their opinions of you and follow Jesus. If your finances hold you back, give it away until it doesn't have a hold on your heart anymore. Jesus said to the rich man, oh, you love it so much, you're going to have to give it all away before it loses its hold off of you. How many now, you don't have to raise a hand and shout hallelujah, but how many now would be honest, being a Christian, you love to give your 10% now, that you actually look at the bonus and figure it out because you're glad to give. I'm not saying it starts that way, but you know how you break greed? You break greed by giving, okay? And so this is the point, is you give it all up for Jesus. Now, something that is here that you have got to understand, verse 19, please highlight it, good sir, and I appreciate all your help back there, Curtis. What we do in this church is criticized all the time. Because I do not take the path of least resistance and try to grow a church based on fans, I want to base a church on followers of Jesus, people actually leave this church with complaints. I've heard them, and I'll tell them to you as best as I can. I have had people, I'm talking about mature Christians who have been Christians for over 30 years, have done ministry, all the way to a first-time visitor, say something exactly like this. They'll say, Pastor, we actually love your preaching. We're not leaving because we're offended or that we can't take it. We actually appreciate it. We're glad that you do it. Of course, we love the worship. The worship is amazing. We love your life groups. We love what you do with our children on Wednesdays, youth on Fridays. We are all in. 
Here's why we're leaving your church and going to the other one. I've had letters. I could pull them up and read them to you right now. Here's why we're going. Because you expect us to go to the discipleship classes and become a leader here. And we just don't want to do that. Not everybody's called to be a leader. And we just want to come to a good church, participate, and we'll help. Some of them have said we do video. Some have said we do painting. So we'll help, but this is not what we want to do. And I want you to understand this. We are one of the only, not saying the only, but we are one of the only churches that put discipleship right at the beginning of everything we do. We don't do membership. We do discipleship. And you have to get this. Right now, I could quadruple maximize the growth of this church if I didn't do that. Why? Because I could get 80% coming around, giving their tithe, enjoying the message, showing up to the events, and not going all in, and then have 20% do all the work and look just like every mega mess, I mean mega church. But what did we say? We say it every single week here when we put it on the board. This is our goal, 100,000 disciples. I've given my life to that. You don't want to do that. There's 10 churches down the road that will let you sing in the choir and do something else or be in the band or help out. We're not doing that here. You don't want to be a disciple here. You don't belong here. This is not a church for you. You say, well, I thought everybody's welcome. No, whoever told you that's a lie. The church is the body of Christ. If you are anti what we are doing here with another vision, you are bringing division. If you do not agree with our stance to make disciples, I'm not saying you, you have to understand it all. I'm saying if you don't want to do that, you are wasting our time and you are wasting your time. That took a lot of boldness for me to say that, and the amens really didn't help because you guys are like two amens there. I feel like I'm all by myself now, which goes back to my temptation of wanting people to like me. That's okay. I'm being tested right now. But here's, here's the point. I want 100,000, but I'm not going to do it another way because you're not welcome to change what God is doing. You, you, don't get to, you don't get to come in here and try to change us. We're doing what God told us to do. Now, you may just say, Pastor, that is crazy. I'm never coming back. Well, God bless you, and don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. But let, me, let this be your last message here. Let this be your last message. When my Jesus talked to people, this is what he said to them. Come follow me, and I'm putting you to work for my kingdom to make disciples of the nations. And if you don't like it, Jesus said you all can go. Go to John 6, verse 66, please. 666, easy to remember. I'm not mad at you. I love every one of you, and I wish you would come back next week. But I will not change what we are here to do. I've literally had people tell me, well, all that church wants to do is have us be disciples and go preach. Yeah, that is all that we want you to do. What did you think you were here to do? Yes, that's what we want you to do. And we're going to put our life behind it. And I've showed you guys this before. I'm the one that takes the first hit. When they don't come, the ties aren't up. I don't take as much salary as I could. You see what I'm saying? I could, I could get so much more salary if I did this the, the other way. So you get to go to another church. You don't lose anything. This is my livelihood. And I'm willing to sacrifice it. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing. Look, come on, guys. Well, count out the square foot of this stage. Y'all come here every week. You don't think I can preach as every good as every person out there? You don't think the band is as good as every band? Why are we still here? Because we won't compromise. I'm not trying to feel like a martyr. I'm not putting myself down, to, you know, putting others down to make myself look good. I'm just being 100% real with you. When you met the Jesus of the Bible, this is what he told you. Come, follow me, and your day on the job starts right now. 
That is it. And then look at John 66. Uh, John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. If you have children in the back, would you help our children's worker by getting them now, please? And you can come on back. Adam, would you come, please? I got excited. I got pumped. Blood pressure going up again. Was that godly anger or ungodly anger? Don't tell me. I'll figure it out when I go home. My wife will tell me. Not your email. That won't tell me. If you have any problems with with what I said, we are definitely wanting to hear from you. I want to hear from you. So please uh, email pastorberto at mpichurch.org. Please email pastorberto at mpichurch.org. Pastor Adam at mpichurch.org. Would love to answer all your questions and concerns. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because he kept getting on them. This is what we're here to do. This is what we're going to do. And they didn't want to do it. And they left. And then look what he does. Sassy Jesus. And never think I say sassy in a disrespectful way. Sassy means Jesus has an edge to him. Okay? So do you, excuse me, you do not want to leave too, do you? That's what he asked the 12. And then what does Simon Peter say? And I hope that you guys are saying the same thing. Where else are we going to go? And I don't mean that about a church at 5405 West Diversity. I mean, aren't you here for the same reason I'm here? I'm not here to beat you up and be the Gordon Ramsay of churches. Sometimes I watch Gordon Ramsay, and I'm like, that guy is crazy. But people want to work for him. He called one guy a donkey, and the guy kept communicating with him, like, you donkey, and he kept talking with him. I'm like, er, hold on, what would you just call me? You just called me a donkey. Like, let's just, let's stop what we're doing right now and have a conversation about how you just called me a donkey. But he called the dude a donkey and he, just, they keep going. The Bible says, do not lord it over them as the people of the world lord it over you. Hear me, guys. Listen to me, please, from my heart. I am not trying to threaten you. I'm not trying to abuse you. I'm really trying to prepare you for the kingdom coming. I'm trying to share with you where its nearness is. And where the kingdom is near, it's near disciples following Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. And he's worthy of it. And we don't want to change that. You trying to change us making disciples, it's literally like asking me to change the Bible. When I say you're not welcome, I don't mean like you can't show up and say hi to us. I mean that attitude. So let me be clear. That attitude of you don't want to do that. It's not welcome. It's rebellion. It wasn't welcomed around Jesus. When the rich man was told, sell everything you have and come follow him, and he, the rich man didn't want to do that, Jesus didn't go hunt him down and be like, man, what's going on, bro? You know, I know you're rich, and it's probably hard for you to do this, and I saw you walk away a little sad. So you know what? Just can you give up half of it? Did Jesus say that? You know what? Hold up, hold up. I know, I know, I know, I know you're hurt. So let's work it out, okay, bro? Just give up the camel. Can you give up the camel? How cheap of of a gospel would that be if Jesus did that? How cheap would I be as your pastor if I go, and because I I literally take school, in school I read book after book, take class after class on how to do this, the two-way method. How cheap would it be in this church if I said, hey, everybody, here's the vision. Love God, love people, make disciples, connect, mentor, send 100,000. That, that, that's what we ideally want you to do. But then there's this other thing over here we call membership that if you don't want to do this, you know, just do this and we'll be cool. How cheap 
does this now become? Right? If I say, well, you know what, just come to the membership class and then figure it out. No, Jesus said, pick up your cross, deny, uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. And is it any wonder that we lack so much respect for God because now pastors, think about this. Pastors used to come behind the pulpits and teach the things of God, and people used to come and respect it and be like, man, I got to do what this says. Is it any wonder that when the pastors became political or the pastors became popular in the sense that they want your popularity, your book sales, uh, you know, to buy their books, their conferences, was it any coincidence that when they changed their approach that now people have no fear of God? How many know whether or not you like this church or ever coming back? How many know right now you will respect what I just said? It's like, hey, the dude told us what he believed, man, honey. We better go to that church down the road now. I mean, because you will respect it. And that needs to be the same thing in your life. You, got, you, you, know, you can have friends. You can be around people. You can be around those who don't love Jesus. You get, you know, you get what I'm saying. But you've got to be able to lay down the line and go, hey, you took my name of my Savior in vain. Please don't do that around me if you want to be friends. If we're on the job, I'll ignore you. But we're out here now, man. We're getting some, something to drink. We're hanging out. Hey, man, don't take the name of my Lord in vain. Please, that disrespects my God. Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, guys, God bless. Here's my check. I'm out. Your friends, they want to do the wrong thing, teenagers? You give them one chance. Hey, I'll go hang out with you. We'll go to the park. We'll do whatever. They start cursing. They start getting in trouble. You tell them, hey, I'm done hanging out here. Next time you want to see me, come to my life group or my church. Audi, peace, deuces. You will thank God for it. You understand what I'm saying? You have some guy say to you, listen to me, all my single ladies in here. You have some guy say to you, I don't care if he's sitting next to you right now, but you're not married to him. And he says, honey, I love you. I'm going to ask you to marry me one day so you can give it up. We can get it on. This is going to work out. It's okay. God understands. We can ask for forgiveness as we hold each other. I've heard these lies. What you need to say back to him, sister, is I got you. I got you. Close your eyes because it is coming. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready, honey. I am ready. Boom. Take out your shoe. Hit him in the face. Don't tell the police I told you to do that. <laughs> and then you let him know, we done. Not only are we not doing it, don't ever ask me to do it again. We're not doing it, don't ever ask me. You'd ask me to do it again, we are done if we're not done right now. You say, Pastor, is it that easy? I know I'm making it sound funny, but it comes with a cost. But is it worth it? It is that worth it. You have a choice to make on what this means to you. And let's close it out, please. Matthew 4. The disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. And wow, look what happens next. The Bible says Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. How many know that is amazing? News spread about him everywhere, all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. What did they do? Come on, what did they do? They followed him. Do I have any followers of Jesus in this place? Let's stand up, give it up for the Lord. Amen. We're going to follow Jesus. God bless you. Come on. Amen. Let's get the altar workers and band to come, please. Here's what we learned from this chapter today. We learn that if we're going to follow Jesus, we can overcome temptation. When we know that we can overcome temptation, we can preach the message of repentance and make disciples. And we can operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the same power that was on Jesus by the Holy Spirit came on us in Acts. 
So we're just going to close out today. I know I've been a little bit longer. Thank you for your patience. Some of you stay for two services. You're radicals. Come on. But man, I just want to thank you from my heart to, to you know, that you're a part of this church, that you make this church. I just want us to get that again. They left everything and followed Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me right now and just surrender to Jesus everything that may hold you back? If you're not a Christian, confess Jesus as the Lord.